things need. Well, as he said, my name is Nathaniel. I'm the RUF campus minister at Western. I'm an ordained minister with Nate in uh, the denomination. And RUF is a campus ministry sponsored by Christ Church and really by all of the churches in the Northwest uh, in our denomination to pastor and walk with students at Western and, and frankly, anyone in that age group. At present, we have students coming from Western, uh, Whatcom, uh, Skagit, uh, the work world, um, and we actually have a dinner tonight at the Kellys. I saw Angie here. Can I? Yeah, uh, Angie is hosting at her house tonight at six. And if you'd like to join us, feel free to ask me or her, and we'd love to have you. Uh, this spring in RUF, we've been taking a look. We have a weekly Bible study Wednesday night, and we've been taking a look at creation, fall, redemption, consummation—the story of the Bible and finding our place in it. And so I wanted to preach today from creation, which is where we're camping out at present in our study. Um, I've been drawing some thoughts, really, from Genesis 1 and 2, but to give us a taste uh, of what we're looking at, I picked out some verses here from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Let me read these for us together. The Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And then we have more days of creation, second, third, fourth, fifth, and then here's the sixth day of creation. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together before we consider this passage. 
Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would be with us this morning, with me and my speaking and all of us in our hearts uh, in this week of uh, cold and gray and rain and death and loss. Um, Would you bear with us in your spirit uh, to remind us about newness of life, that it was not always this way and will not always be this way, Lord. I pray that you would give us hope, joy, that give us longing this morning um, for who you are and what you intend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in the year 1900, there was a, a young man named William Remington who lived in uh, Lancaster County, uh, the no- county north of Liverpool in England. Uh, he was 16 years old, the oldest of uh, a large family of children, seven or eight. And uh, times were difficult in England, and so he decided on his own that uh, his family didn't have enough resources to feed all of the children, and that since he was the oldest and 16, that he would take it upon himself to begin providing for himself and perhaps for his family. And so uh, young William, without consulting or talking to his family, uh, journeyed from Lancaster down south to Liverpool, booked himself passage on an ocean liner from Liverpool over to Canada, Uh, We're not quite sure from history what happened uh, at this point, but we know within a couple months' time, he had made his way all the way from eastern Canada out to British Columbia. And uh, not finding work in British Columbia, but hearing that there was work south of the border in Washington, cutting down trees, uh, he crossed the border down into Washington and uh, got a job in a logging camp. Uh, Being 16, one of the younger guys in the camp, the foreman of the camp, Uh, When he needed errands to run, when he needed to send someone into town, would often send William uh, to go uh, send a message or fetch something from town. And oftentimes this meant visiting the blacksmith shop to have something fixed, repaired, or fashioned and brought back up to the logging camp. And so on one of these visits, I imagine probably about this time of year, uh, young William is sitting in the blacksmith shop waiting for a certain item to be fashioned and thinking to himself about how warm and dry it was in the blacksmith shop uh, and how cold and wet it was in the logging camp. And so he said to the blacksmith, "Um, would you be willing to teach me your trade and teach me how to be a blacksmith? And uh, the blacksmith agreed, and after a period of months and years of lessons and learning, uh, William Remington became a blacksmith and settled in a small town on the Washington coast in the southwest called South Bend on Willapaw Bay and opened up uh, a shop, a blacksmith shop called the Willapaw Bay Ironworks and spent the rest of his life in that town. Uh, He had five children. His oldest son, like his father before him, left town at 18 and basically never came back. His oldest daughter is my mom. So that's how my family made it here to Washington and the New World. Uh, In America, in our culture, uh, we often like to think that each of one of us is an individual, and uh, we navigate the world on our own, and we sort of decide who we are and shape things by our will, and that's somewhat true, but also not. Uh, That each one of us is shaped, uh, whether we like it or not, by the story that we come from, by our history, by the people that we come from. And 
just as I have this family history that shapes me and explains whether I like it or not, why we all love uh, British comfort foods like eggs cooked in bacon grease and leek and potato salad and explains why we have this pattern of oldest children leaving home and not coming back. Um, we also, in the Bible, we have a history of who we are as humanity, as human beings. Um, and uh, I believe that the account we receive here in Genesis is, is a true one, that this is actual history. Uh, if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. There are good questions to be asked. I'm sure Nate would love to chat with you about it. But I would like to consider together, to really to meditate on, if this is, if this is our family history, Genesis 1, of us as human beings, how does this inform and shape who we are, who we were made to be? Missionary Leslie Newbigin said that the Bible is an alternative world history, and it sets the human story in a cosmic frame between creation and consummation, that it tells us uh, who we are. I want to take a look at three aspects of what it means to be human from this passage. Uh, what it means to be human and having a relationship with God, uh, what it means to be human and having a relationship with other people, and what it means to be human and having a relationship with the land. Uh, the first thing I want us to see from Genesis is that human beings were made from the beginning to have a relationship with God uh, and to worship and to walk with him. A couple chapters later in Genesis 3, we hear that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day uh, and, and conversed with them as friends might converse uh, with one another. Uh, God knew Adam and Eve's needs and, and created a garden and a place to live that was in every way fitting for them uh, and designed to commune and live with them. At the end of the Bible... The very other end in Revelation 21, one of the very last things we hear is uh, John, the apostle, is writing and he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne proclaiming, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Now is the dwelling place of God with man. That it's how it was in the beginning, and it's how God desires it to be in the end. In a certain sense, one of the major themes of the whole Bible is God dwelling with man. That it's, it's his heart to have created us and then to, to live with us in communion, just as Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. It's part of what we are made for. The goal in the end is that we should dwell with him personally. Uh, the fall, which happens a couple chapters later, creates uh, complication and dissonance in the relationship. Uh, even now, as Christians, we have access to relationship with God uh, through the scriptures, through prayer and the Holy Spirit, through communion with each other. Uh, but part of what's important for us to remember is that um, this is not the way it was in the beginning. That, that we were made for something better and closer than this. That part of our spirituality as humans and as Christians should always be laced with a longing for more relationship, 
with God than we experience, that we connect with prayer and read in the scriptures and experience him, and and yet somehow there's this, this distance that we long to be fully and completely healed, that we could walk with Jesus and converse with the Holy Spirit and lean against the Father's breast just as John did with Jesus at the table. That there's something in our hearts that that rightly does and should long for a relationship like that. Another one of the outworkings of this is that we're made for worship. And our relationship with God, whether Christian or non-Christian, we will inevitably worship something. That in the garden, God provides Adam and Eve with relationship. He provides them with security and significance. And he's, uh, he's a beautiful presence in their lives. Whatever it is that you think provides you security, whatever it is that you think you f- is most beautiful, you will, you will worship in one way or another. You will serve. You will orient your life and your time and your emotions and your finances around that thing. And part of the fall that we experience is for all of us in some way that's sort of fragmented and distorted. Um, In my younger days when I was in college, I used to go hiking a lot. I'm hoping to get back into that now that I'm here. And uh, one of the things I remember is um, my buddy and I climbed Mount Pilchuck a number of times. There's a little lookout at the top. And inside the lookout, there's this little sign-in log. Many mountain peaks have some sort of like ammunition case at the top, and you pull out a little booklet, and you say, I'm here, and you write down something inside. And one of the things that's always stood out to me is that what is it that people write in there? That you would think that with my little body, having conquered this massive mountain, that I would feel amazing about myself, that I would feel huge, and, and that we would write something about my personal accomplishment in climbing this mountain, and yet that's what no one writes. People write down their name, and they say, Wow! What a view! Incredible day! So spectacular! There's something about it that actually makes you feel smaller. Um, and it's... Uh, It's as if it were, it's a kind of worship. Even from those who don't believe in Jesus or know God, that it's, I think for us, almost impossible to experience something supremely beautiful in art or in nature and not offer some kind of worship. That there's something in our hearts uh, designed to worship and reflect the beauty and have relationship with God. We're also made for a relationship with other people. So we're made in God's image, and God is a relationship. Uh, in, Christian, in Christian history, we've come up with this fancy word for this, Trinity. Trinity is a word that refers to the concept of God being one God and yet three persons, three distinct personalities. And uh, in various and special places in the Bible, uh, like John 17, the high priestly prayer, we can listen in on the members of the Trinity talking to each other that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit have, each one of them has a relationship. They like each other. They enjoy each other. The Holy Spirit loves to accompany Jesus and to make him glorious and to communicate him to people's hearts. The Father loves to plan and to create glory for the Son, and the Son loves to serve the Father. And in many ways, they have this 
relationship of joy and love and service. And so for us, being made in their image, we can't be made in the image of God without being made for a relationship like that. Genesis 1.27 is the piece of poetry in Hebrew. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. It's this repeated concept. Made in the image of God, made in the image of God, made male and female. That, um, that we don't get the full image of God, the full presence of his majesty and representation without man and woman. Thankfully, man is not enough. Um, in uh, chapter 2, God says that it is not good for the man to be alone. This need for relationship in the case of Adam and Eve uh, resulted in marriage, but I think the concept is much broader than this, that, uh, that we rightly long for marriage, for romantic relationship, but really we cannot survive without relationships and close connection with other people. Uh, we, we know from history that human beings that have everything that they need, water, food, shelter, everything, but don't have relationship, um, break down and are, are deeply damaged, that in many cases actually die, simply because of lack of connection with other human beings. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have been friends with a number of uh, adult men who struggle with same-sex attraction and who are Christians. And one of the things I've learned from them and been humbled to experience is uh, that it comes with this pain and emptiness and longing of relationship because they don't um, experience attraction to women in the same way that I might. And, and really, it, it's not appropriate for them to have these close personal friendships with women, and yet they're afraid to have close personal relationships with men. Uh, they're afraid that other men might be afraid of them. They're kind of afraid of themselves. And the temptation, obviously, uh, uh, oftentimes, is to end up isolating themselves from other people completely, uh, just out of fear. And it's incredibly damaging. Um, one of my good friends in another state uh, has shared about this with me a lot um, and has sought ways to find, to meet this longing for family and community in the church, uh, in, in, part, in having dinner with families and having uh, close friends. Um, and I think in many ways, this is, it, it's a, it speaks to me so strongly because I think that's a picture of all of us. That in some ways, because of the fall, we live with the endless longing in our relationship with other people that will not be satisfied. That we're not made for disconnected families or death or broken relationships. Uh, and that per our creation, part of healthy living is to live with this longing and to recognize it and to know that we're made for more, to be able to name that it's right that I'm hurting, it's right that I'm longing, that I am made for close connection with other people uh, in a way that um, can be somewhat healed in this life but will not ultimately end until we reach the kingdom, until we return to a place like we had in the garden where Adam and Eve dwelt together naked without shame in this close and peaceful relationship. 
Part of the beauty, I think, of worshiping together on Sunday mornings is a picture of the very beginning of restoring these things, that when we gather together here on Sundays and worship together, we experience a little bit more of the presence of God and the glory of dwelling with him, conversing with him, uh, confessing our sins and being forgiven, being eating at his table, dwelling together in relationships, sitting together in pews with people that we would probably not normally associate with, and over the course of years, building relationships together. We're made for relationship with God. We're made for relationship with people. We're also made for relationship with the land. In Genesis 1, we get this piece of poetry in 127 about being made in God's image. The verse before it says this, 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the bird of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then we get the piece of poetry, and then immediately after it, we hear this. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves in the earth. It's the same thought. So this is a structure in Hebrew that points to the importance that the central thought is made in God's image, male and female. But right before it and after it is the concept of caring for the garden. Watching out for the plants and animals, having dominion, working. That there is a, a, an inseparable relationship between being made in God's image and being made to work. And just as we are made for relationship because God is a relationship, we're made for work because God works. God is creative. If you think about the way that God exercises his power, his authority in creation... He does so uh, creatively. He does so with a diversity. There are over 22,000 kinds of orchids. Orchids. And God would only do that if he enjoyed doing it. Over and over again, look at this. Here's a new one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Um, he creates things of beauty. He also creates the world in a way that's beneficial for others. That he creates a habitat in the air, <coughs> and then he creates birds to fly in the air. He creates a habitat on the earth with plants, and then he creates animals and men to live on the earth. Um, all these little tidbits about each according to their kind, and plants bringing forth seed that bring forth more plants, that when I hear that, what I hear is... God made everything just the way that it needed to be. That plants need seeds that orderly produce more plants like them. That God used his kingly authority to graciously benefit others, to make the world a better place, to make a, a place fitting for us to dwell. And so when it says that we are to exercise dominion over the earth, it means to exercise dominion in the way that God does. It's not abject authority. It's not, I'm going to tear this down and do a thing here. It's, how can we use our authority, our power, and our creativity for the benefit of others to, to promote flourishing uh, on the planet, to create beautiful things? Because there was work in the garden, I'm highly convinced that there will be work to do in heaven. Um, 
this last week, Nate and uh, Pete Williamson, who's the pastor of Oikos in town, and myself went to a Presbyterian meeting in Seattle. We took the Amtrak Cascades. On the way back, we got on the train at King Street Station, and immediately after you leave the station, you go through a mile-long tunnel under downtown Seattle. And uh, I have a little bit of ADD, and so I got curious about that and looked it up. And it turns out that in the early days of Seattle, all the railroad tracks went along what's now Alaskan Way down on the waterfront, and there were like six or eight tracks. And uh, it became impossible just to walk across that area and get to the docks without being run over. And so an engineer suggested that they tunnel under downtown and put the tracks in there. So uh, between 1903 and 1904, uh, men and women at the city and working on multiple railroads uh, raised money Engineers drew up plans, 600 men dug for two years in both directions, creating what was at that point the widest and tallest railroad tunnel in the world. They're all, they've all passed on. But the tunnel is there with the same concrete lining that it had in 1904, and it's still working, and all of us here have benefited for what they, Christian and non-Christian, gave for us. Um, a picture of men and women serving their lives for the good of the world. We're made for a relationship with God. We're made for a relationship with others. We're made to work and serve the earth and each other. All of us have non-Christian friends. And if we we don't have non-Christian friends, we're at least surrounded by non-Christians in our neighborhoods and our work. One of the things that this should do for us is give us a basis for respect for them. That uh, all of them, like us, have been marred and broken by the fall, and yet some of this dignity, some of this creational, made-in-the-image-of-Godness survives. Uh, My next-door neighbor, Gretchen, is an artist. She teaches art uh, at a local middle school, but also... uh, paints murals. One of her murals is at a restaurant connected to Mount Baker Theater downtown. She creates uh, wood burnings and cribbage boards to sell at fairs. Um, And uh, she's created this beautiful life of of art and creating beautiful things. Uh, Across the street from us, my wife's friend Carrie is passionate about protesting the North Dakota access pipeline across the Standing Rock Reservation. Uh, She has, on multiple occasions, gone downtown Bellingham, brought her children with her to participate in a protest. Look, on some level, I don't care what you think about the pipeline. The point is that that she has, even without being taught the scriptures, picked up on the fact that in this world created by God, the weak should not oppress the strong. That resources should be used carefully, and she is to the best of her ability, using her power for the good of others. And even whether you agree or disagree, recognizing that and to be able to commend the the intention and connect it with biblical truth is the beginning point of evangelism. Building a relationship of respect. Uh, For us as Christians... I think this is important just to begin, just to recover, to meditate on, to savor a picture of who we are, who we were made to be. I once heard a a Christian writer, Christopher Wright, say that uh, in evangelical Christianity, we've become so accustomed to uh, beginning the story of Christianity with you're a sinner, 
and ending with you need to make a decision for Jesus, both of which things are true, by the way, that we sometimes live and act as if the Bible began in Genesis 3 and ended in Revelation 19, and what we miss is the garden on both ends. But the thing is, what makes sin, sin, what makes it so awful is what sin has defaced. That sin is terrible because before sin, there was this beautiful picture in the garden. Jesus said, when people asked him about divorce, he said, it was not so in the beginning. That for Jesus himself, it was important to retain the sense of longing and importance of this sin, this disfacement is wrong because there was something beautiful that I intended in the beginning. And knowing that will help us know where we're headed. That um, to maintain longing for a closer relationship with God than we have, for more open, uh, safe relationships with the people around us than we have, for meaningful lives of work that benefit others, will give us an insight into the way that the Holy Spirit is working in us, bringing us towards the new creations in the earth, preparing us for a restoration of those things. Uh, when I was in seminary in St. Louis, uh, my wife and I were newly married and living in a tiny apartment in St. Louis City. And uh, at one point, there was something wrong with our apartment. I don't remember what it is. It was something about the front door. And uh, the beautiful part of renting is when that happens, you can just call someone. So we called our landlord, and they sent out a handyman. And uh, I'm sitting down the front porch because it's springtime. It was, you know, there's like two weeks a year in St. Louis when it's nice to be outside. So this was in that time. So I'm sitting on the front porch, and a dude is working on the door. And he says, what do you do for a living? Well, I go to seminary. Oh, why do you go to seminary? I'm thinking about being a pastor. And uh, so he starts telling me that he has, within the past two weeks, just become a Christian. And he shares a little bit of his story. And then he he says, can I share something with you? He says, this may sound really strange. But since I became a Christian, and he teared up a little bit, he said, I feel like the world has become color. And it was color before, but somehow now all the the trees and the plants and everything has this new color to it because I know who made it and what it's about. He said, does that make sense? Is that normal? And I smiled and I said, I think it's very normal. And I wish to myself to taste some of that taste again when you first become a Christian. I think that's part of the importance and the power of Genesis 1 for us is recovering uh, that longing for our Father's world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, I'm glad, I'm thankful, uh, surprised and humbled that you are so good. Lord, of all of the gods that we could have had, you were the best. And you were the one who is, who created for us this beautiful place with this beautiful intention. And even in moments of death and loss, you weep with us and will restore all things better than they were. Lord, I pray that you be with me, with all of us, to to retain, to hold on, to not lose the scent of creation, of new creation. And I pray boldly, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly. I love my family. Uh, I love ministering to college students. But if you came back this afternoon 
and brought back to life those we've lost this week, Lord, it would not be too soon. Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.